0: Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Thriller Podcast. Today we are talking Yahoo! All Market Submit. They had uh, Brad Garlinghouse from uh, Ripple on there. We're going to talk about that. We also got an interesting video of the day. And then our main topic, we're discussing the Lightning Network. What's its impact on Bitcoin long term? We're explaining it. Thriller Podcast starting now. Welcome to Thriller with Carl Gonzalez. Broadcasting from Austin, Texas. Be a SoundCloud and supported by
1: listeners like you. It's time for
0: the news. It's time for the news. It's time for the news. It's time for the news. Thriller with... What's going on ladies and gentlemen welcome to another exciting episode of throw a podcast we got a good episode for you guys today uh, first up we're gonna be talking about uh, ripple they were at the yahoo finance all market summit on crypto today and uh, it was pretty interesting that guy is a hell of a salesman I'd have to give that guy props on that he can fucking sell the shit out of that fucking coin. Uh, or actually ripple <laughs> the company which they own a vast majority of um, I was surprised that he actually copped to that but I'm gonna play a clip for you guys um, check it out
2: the, that is how we engage customers they, you know there is a, clearly there's a lot of misunderstanding about digital assets and I think some of it's been you know clarified in the the, the panels today what is interesting and a, a quick anecdote uh, even before Andy and I had met. I was a CEO of a voice over IP company. I was a telco guy way, way, way back when, pre-Yahoo. And actually, I came into Yahoo. Yahoo bought a company called Dialpad. Right. I sat down with the CEO. Oh, sorry, at the time, he was a very senior guy at SBC Communications. His name's Randall Stevenson. I've heard of him. He's now the CEO <clears throat> of AT&T. Mm-hmm. Randall Stevenson said to me in 2000, AT&T was well, the time SBC will never use IP for voice traffic. Now, his <laughs> point was, look... It, you know, we have a, a robust analog switch network that works for voice brilliantly. We'll invest in data, we'll invest in IP data, and we'll have a separate network for that, and that's how it evolved. Well, today, there is no voice network at at and it's all IP. I think the exact same thing's gonna happen in the <laughs> banking world. I talk to senior banks, people who are close to the company Ripple, and they're invested in us, and they, they're like, hey, look, we love what you're doing around XCurrent, not sure about X Rapid. that's fine. It's Randall Stevenson, like I'm having an echo chamber. The X-Rapid product gives you a faster product at a lower price. Do we really not think that people are going to say, huh, that's kind of interesting? So over time, I, I view this absolutely as a crawl, walk, run. We now work with over 100 banks around X-Current. We've announced four customers using X-Rapid. Those are MoneyGram, uh, Mer- Mercury FX, IDT, and Qualix all payment providers, and they're using our first uh, testing transactions, but live transactions, moving many transactions, going into Mexico. And I think it's just the beginning.
0: You know, he's right about that. I think, you know, the qual rock run kind of comment that he made, that's true. Uh, Same thing with IP. I think there's one thing that kind of you wouldn't have noticed if you really didn't pay attention, the fact that he mentioned cryptocurrencies as digital assets. I think he's wrong there. I think um, you can take uh, something like a contract or something and put it on the blockchain, and that becomes a digital asset. Um, but uh, as as to say, like these currencies, as we're calling them, are digital assets into themselves, I don't believe that's true. Uh, I still see I still see Litecoin as a great utility coin to be used, you know, for payments. Um, he might not see that, but that that doesn't mean that he's he's right about that. So, and it also have noticed that as of late. Um, well, it's only been a day, <laughs> but I have noticed in the past couple of hours, I'm pretty much on Twitter all the time. I have noticed that people that are like, you know, trying to look very intelligent when it comes to like they're, they're the people that usually say, oh, I love the blockchain. I'm not sure about the cryptocurrencies like those type of people. Those type of people I've noticed as of late have started using the whole, yeah, these digital assets. And I think they're wrong. I think you're completely wrong about that. And check out this part.
2: I mean, an important distinction that we try to make repeatedly is you can't really you, – well, you can buy shares and ripple the company on the secondary market, but what people are buying is XRP. Right. Look, the, the way I think about this, we are in the earliest innings. Uh, the, the markets are in an adolescent stage. There is a tremendous amount of volatility. I think it's going to continue. Hmm. I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. But I also think even events like this, uh, the events in Washington, D.C. yesterday – the industry needs to go through a maturation process. Part of that maturation process is not pretending that we're going to live outside of the regulated financial markets. The, the, you know, one of the things that has made, to Andy's point earlier, that has made it ripple a little bit contrarian and controversial is early on we were contrarian in that we said, look, we don't think governments are going away. Right. The, the, the Bitcoin community, you know, some in the Bitcoin community come up from a very anarchistic, libertarian view of, like, down with government, down with banks, and even down with fiat currency. Look, the U.S. dollar, I mean, we can talk about other currencies around the world, but the U.S. dollar works pretty well. I don't think the U.S. dollar is going away in my lifetime. I don't think the U.S. government is going away in my lifetime. The revolution that is enabled by blockchain technologies is not going to happen from outside the system. It's going to happen from within the system. And the the thing that I think actually is a disservice to the the revolution is to pretend that we can live outside of a regulatory framework. You know, Ripple has, from the earliest days, invested in engaging regulators. And, you know, when we go to Washington, D.C., we go to other regulatory bodies around the world and explain... We aren't circumventing a KYC check, a, a Know Your Customer check. We aren't circumventing an AML, anti Money Laundering check. We aren't circumventing BSA. Oh, There's lots of three-letter acronyms. I'll stop there. <laughs> but look, the Bank of England is a paid customer of Ripples. There's another central bank we haven't announced that we're working with very actively. Like, the, we will continue to work with central banks. We'll continue to work with regulators and educating them about how we can accelerate the financial ecosystem, which is good on many, many, many levels. And not in some way circumvent and enable anonymous transactions that obviously the government has concerns about.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny. He says, oh, the, the U.S. dollar works pretty well. Yeah, for him and his central bankers, it does. Not for the rest of the people. Not for regular people that are going to work every day. The, the fact that he stands behind the central bankers and he's trying to push that fucking coin down everybody's throats and um, – They're trying to pass it off like it's some new innovation. Fuck that. (laughs) This this is exactly why I can't support Ripple. Everything that you just said there. You know, we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have this view about uh, banks and about governments if it wasn't for the pyramid scheme they've built up over the years. Do you know what I mean? There's a reason why this revolution has gone this far. It wasn't because of fucking pieces of shit currencies like fucking XRP you know, in the early days. No, it was because guys like Jed McCaleb fucking coming up with shit like this and Satoshi coming up with shit like this. Like, this wasn't ever going to be, you know, an easy thing to do. But the fact that he sits there and says, oh, we're not trying to do this. He's just a fucking suit. That's all he is. Just a fucking suit out there in front of all these other central banks, you know, just trying to bring on the blockchain technology that they're calling decentralized. But in all reality, we know the guy is is centralized as fuck. I don't understand who he's trying to pass off this. But to the mainstream, to somebody like Yahoo, this looks all like suit and tie. Oh, Ripple's doing the right thing. And it's the right thing for banks. It's the right thing for the financial system. But when you really look behind the fucking curtain, we really know what's going on with Ripple. It's just another fronted bank. That's all it is. And they're just pushing out shit-ass fucking currency. But you know what? I'll ride that fucking wave until I can cash out and then invest in real fucking currency where it really fucking matters. That's what I believe. Yeah, you may call me like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. How could you do that? You know what, guys? Sometimes, like he said, sometimes you got to play within the system to crash it down. And I feel like buying Ripple right now is playing within the system right now and then coming out ahead towards the end. Because I think. Well, I don't think I know for a fact Bitcoin will fucking save the world. I really do. I really believe that. And today's main topic is one of the reasons why I'm even more bullish on Bitcoin than I was in years past. With that, let's get on to the interesting video of the day. Cars,
2: interesting video of the day.
0: So today's interesting video of the day is kind of a two, two-parter. two um, I, I You guys know I'm an excellent journalist. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like w- when I like to give you one side of something, I like to also give you the other side just because I like to keep it balanced. That way you can see two sides. Um, this interesting video is about the movie The Deep Web. If you guys haven't seen that, it's probably one of the most fascinating documentaries about the dark net. Um, that's ever been released i would highly check it out i'm gonna put a link in the show notes for the trailer it's called the deep web it's it's been out since 2015 but it's still relevant in today's age so check it out
2: it's called the silk road, the silk road. A billion dollar online marketplace for illegal like drugs, the
3: eBay for drugs.
2: The elusive ringleader known, known as, as the, the
3: dread, dread pirate roberts who
1: is the dread pirate roberts say they the have their guy.
4: 29-year-old Ross Albright. Is he
1: the man they call DPR?
4: Plenty of evidence suggests
1: that he was involved in the Silk Road. They seized his laptop while he was logged in. But I interviewed the Dread Pirate Roberts. The first thing he told me was that there are multiple Dread Pirate Roberts.
4: There was more than one person. At least two other people, if not Three.
3: There's a huge dispute that he could have done what he did. He's not the guy that I'm reading about.
0: People don't have a clue who Ross really is. I know, I know. I'm his mother. I'm going to say good things about Ross. Nothing has been proven at all. How did you find
2: the server? They're not saying. This was playing fast and loose with the truth.
3: EPR was serious about what the Silk Road
2: meant. They don't really care about money. It's not about selling drugs, it is to make a political statement. Silk Road is not the first place to have sold drugs on the internet, and it won't be the last.
4: The white knights in shining armor, that's a false narrative. We are the darkness.
0: So this documentary was made by Alex Winter. He has spent several years, you know, um, trying to make that movie at that time. Um, he, He did a TEDx talk, and he explained what really that was all about and like um mr brad Garlinghouse mentioned in his talk today he talked about how people that are against the government and against fiat currency and all that stuff that he said about you know people that are aligned with those same uh interests and you know people like him do that because they're trying to demonize these people you know, in, in the mainstream public and trying to show them that, you know, everybody that's a libertarian or everybody that's an anarchist or everybody that's, you know, that type of person that invests in current cryptocurrency, invests in, in uh, you know, like anonymized tokens and anonymized currencies. Like those are the people that we're trying to stop. Like they're trying to say, like, those are bad people when in actuality we're not. We just care about our privacy and we don't think the government should have anything to do with that. So, Alex Winter explains
4: here, because, honestly, I agree with him. So, why the cyberspin and hysteria in the media? Well, it sells. It's good for clickbait. It makes for, you know, sexy TV shows and movies. It sells magazines. But there is another agenda at work to demonize the dark net and to scare people away from it. Now, who would want to do that? People in power who believe that the privacy and anonymity that the darknet enables will cause them to lose control. And that's where the Silk Road comes in. Because however you choose to judge it, one of the chief motives for its creation was to fight back against that control. Now, there's a lot about the Silk Road we'll never know, because it was built and operated in a hidden area of the Internet by anonymous users. But we do know that in 2011, a young physics grad student from Austin, Texas, named Ross Ulbricht, created this online market. It was a brilliant combination of Tor, which hid the site's location, and Bitcoin. Now, Ulbricht claims he created the Silk Road as an economic experiment, a test case to create an online market and forum that would allow its users to congregate with total freedom and anonymity. That is a radical idea. But as a technology service, it was a watershed and the Silk Road immediately attracted thousands of users. It also attracted law enforcement, who had infiltrated the Silk Road from the very beginning, and ultimately, Ross Ulbricht was arrested, tried, and convicted on a handful of charges, including computer hacking, drug trafficking, money laundering, and even a kingpin charge, which is usually reserved for massive drug cartels. There had been initial charges of attempted murder, but Ross Ulbricht was never indicted for any of those charges, and there are no murders that are believed to have been carried out. On May 29th of 2015, Ross Ulbricht was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, to many on the outside, the story of Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht was about nothing more than an online drug market that was shut down, with its creator severely punished for brazenly flaunting the law. But due to the relatively small amount of drugs being sold, and the fact that Ross Ulbricht was only charged with nonviolent offenses, many people were stunned by the extremely harsh sentence. It didn't seem to fit the narrative. However, to those of us who were closer to the events, it fit the narrative fine, it was just a different narrative. You see, another side of the story is that Ross Ulbricht found himself at the intersection of three of the most highly prosecuted areas of law in the United States today. Cyber, the drug war, and financial regulation. Meaning, the Silk Road angered a lot of people in power, who feel threatened by the digital revolution in general and the darknet in the specific? Now, that was the narrative that I set out to tell with my film. And thankfully, due to my connections in this space and my experience with encryption, I was able to gain unprecedented access to the inner workings and architects of the Silk Road. And what I found surprised me. Every key player that I interviewed came from a political background highly educated activists, significant members of the Occupy movement, radical crypto-anarchists, libertarians, etc. None of these people were taking this risk by participating in Silk Road simply to sell drugs. Some of them had no interest whatsoever in drugs. They wanted to build the first large-scale anonymous online community. They wanted to circumvent entities that breached their privacy. They wanted to fight back against the drug war. To put it simply, they were taking this risk enormous risk for their ideals. The truth about the Silk Road, as unpalatable as it may be, is that it was a political engine designed to enact change. That is not to exonerate this service, which was reckless and beyond the law, but simply to point out that for many of these people, they felt so strongly about these issues that they were willing to risk their freedom to fight for them.
0: You know, and that's what all those people are really about, you know. That's what cryptocurrency really is about. You know, when when you hear somebody like Charlie Lee or somebody like Charles Hoskinson or other people like that, Jed McCaleb, that say, you know, it's really what it is all about. They're kind of tipping their hat right there and they're and they're letting you know that, hey, we're with you guys. We're with all those people that he just mentioned right now. So when somebody like Brad Garlinghouse goes in front of Yahoo today, in front of other people in the financial markets and denounces people like us who, who originally started. Not me in general, but, you know, people like Satoshi and all the people I just mentioned that originally started this whole cryptocurrency movement and then sticking the finger to him like that. That's that's in bad taste. So I just wanted to give you guys some other alternative view to what he said. And like I said, I'm not trying to sway your opinion anyway. I want you guys just to look at the whole picture. Um, Some people will see this side of the view and the other people will see Brad Garlinghouse side of the view. You know, so there is no right or wrong way. I just want you guys to know what cryptocurrency really started as. So that way, you know, the history of it, because I think that's important. And I think forgetting its roots, you know, could cause things like Ripple (laughs) to uh, get out of control, because I think if it goes down the path of Ripple with our with with digital currency, with cryptocurrency, I think it's it's an even bleaker future than we could have ever imagined. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our coin talk segment.
3: It is time. Everything you have been waiting
0: for. Coin talk. Coin talk. Coin talk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's my favorite part of the day. Coin talk. I love talking cryptocurrencies, I love talking coin talk, because honestly, it's my favorite part of my day, guys, and I love talking about it. Before we get into that, though, I do want to thank everybody here on the Telegram, because I do that, you know, I do that every day, you guys know it's starting to become a everyday thing now. Um, yeah, we're chatting, we're chatting it up on the Telegram today, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, if you guys haven't checked it out, go ahead and go on there. Um, I'm pretty much on there every day now at this point. (laughs) I'm addicted. But uh, honestly, like I, you know, I love the banter in there. There's some really good information. Everybody's providing like up to dates on stuff. And uh, Matthew is a person that is constantly, uh, you know, giving us good uh, tips on, you know, uh, on his trading view uh, screenshots that he provides us here every morning, it seems like, uh, which is awesome. Um, so if you guys want to contribute in a way like that, you're helping the entire community by doing it. And I think you guys, and there's other people in there as well, Joe as well. And then we have, you know, Cameron goes in there from time to time. There's there's a lot of people that are are talking um, you know, crypto and it's awesome. So if you guys aren't on Telegram, go ahead and get on there. And then um, if you guys want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash through the podcast. We have our dollar donations or $5 donations a month, and we provide all kinds of incentives and stuff like that. We're going to be doing a Google Hangout, I think, here for all our patrons um, next Saturday. Uh, I got some, I got a test I got to study for this weekend, uh, taking another certification test here on Monday. So won't be able to do it this weekend because I'm going to be studying. Um, but we'll definitely do it here the following weekend. Um, so... Yeah, I think it'll be fun. And then we can talk crypto and stuff like that. So if you guys are interested in, you know, being a part of that, um, get on the Patreon. I think with that, let's go ahead and get into our disclaimer. Remember, Thriller Podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks he can. He is just some
3: dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time.
0: So we got some more green today, fellas and ladies. We have some more green. I love it. So let's count it down. We got Bitcoin at 8,000 up 8%. Woo! I'm feeling so good now that I bought all that Bitcoin at 6 and 7,000. <laughs> I love it. You know, I was talking to I was talking to my wife today and she was we were talking about Bitcoin. She's like, "What is Bitcoin now? Is it at 17,000?" I'm like, "No, I wish, sweetie. I wish it was." I'm Like, "No, it actually went down to 6 um, and uh, we bought more, by the way. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually told her, I was like, honestly, I don't see Bitcoin ever being this low ever again. I really don't. I don't see us having a crash. I really don't, guys. Uh, but you guys know I'm bullish as fuck on Bitcoin. But I think it's because I can see it getting to 35, 40 this year. I'm hoping for 50. You know, I, I think I said it was going to hit 50 this year, last year. I'm still hoping for that. But I think realistically, 35, 40, 45 around there, right? So I'm thinking when it crashes or not crashes, when it dips next year, sorry, when it dips next year, it's probably gonna dip to around 15, 20 next year. And then that's what I'm saying. It's just gonna keep going higher and higher year over year. That's, I just don't believe Bitcoin will ever get that low again, where we saw it kind of level off around six, five around there. Um, yeah, I just don't see it ever getting that low. I could be wrong. But if it keeps trending the way Bitcoin has trended over the last couple of years, I think I think it's possible that you know eight thousand dollars right now might be the best buy we can get for ever. Just saying, that's just a thought. That was just something I was thinking earlier today. We also got uh, Ethereum at eight hundred eleven dollars, um, up eight percent. So Ethereum's right back where it was, eight hundred dollars. It got up to sixteen, you know, maybe a few weeks ago, wherever it was when we had that really high. Um, so it's going to double here pretty soon. That's, that's not surprising. We got ripple at 75 cents. So it went up 3% today. That's probably because of Brad Garling house showing up on that Yahoo thing. So the fact remains that they do have five payment, uh, merchants that they are working with MoneyGram being the biggest one that they're actually testing out the XRP token with. So fuck man, if it's all centralized and they get that shit in under, you know, in under milliseconds or whatever they're promising. Um, yeah, it's going to fucking buck up and it's going to get to $3 again here pretty soon easily as well. Um, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, fuck, I need to get out of Ripple as soon as possible. So like I was telling, I was telling Joe, uh, I think yesterday on the Telegram, like I'm looking at maybe three to five bucks around there. And so on my Ripple, it, it's going to be a nice, it's going to be a nice cashing day on that one for sure. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that happens when we get on Coinbase. But if it happens before that, oh man, I might have to take a little piece of that pie. And that way I can start putting into other coins that I believe in. It's just, it's more of a, it's more of a kind of ideals thing with me at this point. Um, Holding Ripple. Don't let that, honestly, that's the first thing you never want to do when investing in cryptocurrencies, let your ideals get in the way. But I'm just that type of person. Like I've been that way since I was a kid. I'm very stubborn on stuff like that. If I don't believe in something, I don't believe in it. Um, this is why we don't make money on this podcast, because <laughs> of my ideals, and I believe in giving everything away for free, but you know, I believe in karma too, so there you go, also we got Bitcoin Cash at $1,000, that's at seven, up 7%, we also got Cardano at 34 cents, eh, Cardano is a little weak today, um, it's okay, it's not too bad, we got Litecoin at 145 bucks, That's awesome, up 6%. We saw it as low as 128 bucks the other day. We got NEO at 113. Shit, we just saw it at 96 bucks, up 13%. We got Stellar at 35 cents. I'm hoping that's gonna move here pretty fast. So I'm not worried too much on Stellar or Cardano on that aspect. We got EOS at $8. That sounds about right. NEM at 54 cents. This is one coin that's down 5% today. And this is one coin that I know for a fact. Well, as much fact as I can provide, there is no fucking way this would, this would be another status. <laughs> like we're going to go down and check statuses yet. Cause I haven't checked status yet, but we're going to go down because I really believe NEM could get to a dollar 10. It's at 54 cents. Now it should get to a dollar 10 here. Almost in almost a week. I would imagine. I don't understand why it's down 5%, but then again, they did have that whole hack. So the exchange check, I mean, um, yeah, so I don't know, man. I don't know if that really affected the price of it, maybe, because there's a lot of NEM, but you know, you would think it would it would help it because it's a lot of holding, it's a lot of NEM that's being held right now. But FUD is FUD. So I don't know. NEM, I think it can get to a dollar here pretty soon. It'd be an easy double your profit kind of thing and then jump out, but it's still number 10 in the coin market cap, so it has that going for it. We got iota at a dollar seventy, that's about right. We got dash at 562. Man, Dash is still pretty under right now. It's up 10%, but it's well under where it should be selling at. Got Monroe at 224. Got Tron at 3 cents. There you go, Tron. Get up there, boy. Get up there. We got Lisk at $19. So $19, Lisk is up 14%. We know where Lisk is going to end up at, and that's at 30 bucks. So that's another. You know, 50% increase. We got tether at a dollar one. Yeah. Got v at $4.20. We got ethereum Classic at 19. Ethereum Classic is another one that we look at every day. It's up six percent. We know where that's gonna be. That's gonna be around thirty dollars, thirty-one dollars here pretty soon. So that's another fifty percent increase. So man, I wish I had a shit ton of money, guys. I wish I had like five thousand dollars. These are all the bets that I would place, you know, just on the ones that I know where they're gonna get back at because those are that's easy money, that's easy takings. We got uh, Bitcoin Gold at ninety two dollars and twenty seven cents. Um, okay, we got Nano at eleven dollars. We got Zcash at three hundred ninety dollars, up thirteen percent. We got OMGO eleven dollars fifty eight cents, up eight 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 percent. OMGO, that's a good coin to hold, I believe. Uh, it's still in the top twenty five cryptos. There you go. We got Steam at three dollars and seventy nine cents. It's still getting around that four dollar mark. That's usually where it sits, Steam. So four ten around there. We saw it get as high as five or six uh, right before the the, the dip. We got uh, Bitcoin at four tenths of a cent. It's, it's up eight percent. It's making strides. I think By- we can get coin back up to seven tenths of a cent, and that's usually where it hangs out at. We got Status at twenty one cents. Fuck Status, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! This is one that I fucking God. It hurts, guys, because this is one that was. This is where. I, this is where I tell you. Like, when I say I'm certain about things, this shows you right here. Like, me purchasing status at 54 cents shows you that I was wrong. So, remember that when I say, you know how strong I feel about this coin? Remember, hey, car, you were wrong on status. Why am I going to take your advice again? No, seriously, like, I'm going to be honest about shit like that. Like, status, 21 cents, fuck, it hurts. It hurts bad. But still, I'm holding mine. I'm not selling it because I'm like, fuck, let's get it to a dollar, guys. Let's get it to a dollar. I think it can. We really just need thriller a, effect,
1: thriller effect, thriller effect, thriller effect.
0: I mean, at this point, it wouldn't hurt. We also got Stratus at $6.88. We got Eternity at $2.88. That's at 30%, up 30%. We got BitShares at 23 cents. Whew, that looks pretty good. It's not too bad. We, we know we can get to 54 cents. It's up 12%. We got Walton. Where's Walton? $22 up five percent. We got waves, baby. We got waves five dollars up eight percent. We got dogecoin. So dogecoin is up uh is at four tenths of a cent. It's up ten cents or ten cents, ten percent. Uh so that's good. It's good to see the doge memes get back in full force again. We got art chain at a dollar thirty-seven. That's another good buy. That's another good guy. That's another good guy right there. Art chain. We got gas, $40. I mean, I don't have gas, but I'm saying we have gas, $40.93, up 10%. That's a nice game today. We got Arc at $3.76, three cents, up 6%. We got Dragon Chain at $1.51. Man, we need to do an episode of Dragon Chain. Maybe next week. I'm serious. This is one that I want to look at. We got Loop Ring at $0.62. Cents. Up six percent. We got DentaCoin at one tenth of a cent. It's up ten percent. So there we go. We got Digibyte at three cents. Something, something about Digi, Digibyte. My brother just loves that coin for whatever reason, but um, he has made money on it. So I'll give him that. Um, yeah, he loves Digibyte for some reason. We got uh, Biteball Bytes, four sixty two. I'm just not a fan of Biteball Bites. Maybe one day we'll, we'll dive into it, but it's gonna be a. It's not gonna be a good episode. <laughs> They got golem at 35 cents up 18%. Man, I like me some golem. I don't know why. I I I really like buying coins once they get to this price. Around 35 cents, 30 cents. I just like buying coins at this price. I feel. I don't know. I just see that, see that trending all the time with me. We got now, my this is my pick of the day, guys. We don't really have picks of the day. But if there ever was one pick, fucking funfair right now at six at six cents. It was at four cents here two three days ago um it's up 21 percent it's at six cents i'm telling you man funfair is one if i had if i had some cash if i had 50 bucks i would throw it on funfair right now and ride that bitch to the moon because i really think that funfair has that opportunity just like we saw with verge and tron when it got up to 25 cents i think funfair has that breakout opportunity and you could, you know, a thousand times, I don't know what, six six cents, you know, will get you for 50 bucks. But I think Funfair is one of those that we could potentially see a breakout with just because we've been watching that one. We went ahead and we looked at it, too, as well. This is one that our, our, our you know, that one of our listeners actually brought to us. Thank you. And uh, we looked at it and found out that it was actually a really good, solid project. So Funfair up 21 percent, six cents right now. It's still a great buying opportunity. Just saying. It was at five cents for a while. We saw as high as it can get. It's, it looks good right now. It looks really good. I'm so tempted to like sell some Bitcoin right now and like get some funfair, but I'm not doing that. Because I have discipline now. But no, I would. I would in a second. I wouldn't even think about it. Some fun fair. I'm just saying, guys. I wouldn't be surprised tomorrow or later this week or next week. We're looking at fun fair. It's at 12 cents. I'm just saying. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so we got Syndicator at $0.18. Cents. Uh, still not making its way up. It's up 11%, but not making its way up. We got Dent at $0.02. Cents. Uh, okay, Dent. We got Salt at $4.46. Um, we got, what else do we got here? Factum at $24. We got Singularity.net, or Singularity.net, I'm sorry, at uh, $0.45. Cents. So that's that went up 14%. Yeah, and we also got Red Coin. So red Coin is clawing its way back up. That's surprising. Um, even a shit coin has has a good day every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's at six tenths of a cent, up nine percent. Um, And then we got Ignis at uh, twenty cents. Man, you've been our hundredth coin for a while now, Ignis. Congratulations. You're still hanging on. Um, Yeah, I mean, those are good day all around. Good day all around. I think Ethos had a good day as well, up eighteen percent at four dollars. Uh, we got Electronium at seven cents, up twenty three percent. Up twenty three percent. Electronium's looking like a good buyer right now too. Um yeah, guys, just a great day overall. Fucking Bitcoin's up too as well. I love it. I love days like this. These are good days. These are good days. Even when the really shit coins like Redcoin have <laughs> good days on days like this, and you know it's all up for crypto. Um, so I think we might I think I think it's safe now. Let me look behind me real quick. I think we actually might be out of that uh that little dip that we're in spring is near boys and girls spring is near it's time to make some money i'm just saying okay with that let's go ahead and get into our main topic today we are discussing the lightning network it's pretty informative this is a must listen guys if you listen through a podcast and you don't and you skip this main topic i'm gonna be very upset because this is a must listen right about now ladies and gentlemen today we are talking the lightning network and i know i know this might feel like homework because <laughs> it, it's really very easy like i i know there's other youtubers out there that struggle explaining lightning network but i'm going to present it very easily to you guys so you can understand basically what it is okay so i'm not going to try to like make it really hard to understand i'm going to give you basics so as everybody might not know or will know you know th- when we think of the internet. There's really, well, actually, when we think of computers in general, sorry, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna try to be too difficult. When we think of computers in general. Uh, every computer, when they're interconnected, they have a, a stack that they that they that they that they talk to and they communicate on, um, and those stacks are referred to as TCPIP. ip um, or some people, you know, like like Cisco will, will make you uh, know both. So like the OSI reference model. So basically what that means is there's seven layers in the OSI model, and that's how everything talks to each other. You know, computers talk to each other. So if you can think, the physical layer is layer one, data link is layer two, network is layer three, transport is layer four, five, it would be session, six will be presentation, seven will be application. But long came along you know, TCP IP, and eventually OSI got rolled into TCP IP. And basically what it did is it took layers one and two and called it the network interface. It took the layer three, what would be the the OSI model would be the network. It turned it into the internet on TCP IP. It took layer four, which is transport, and kept it the same, actually, and named it transport here on TCP IP. And then they smushed all five, six, and seven layers on OSI model to just application. Because basically that's all it is. Bitcoin lives on the application side. When you think of like Ethernet cables or or routers or switches, stuff like that, that, that all lives on layers, you know, two and three. So that's that's probably the easiest way to explain it. Now, what we're what Bitcoin is actually doing now, it's trying to build on top of that application layer. So when I say application layer the fourth layer on TCP IP, it's basically the, um, you think of a web browser, you think of HTTP, or you think of SFTP, or you think of like TCP or any kind of those protocols that all lives on the application layer, right? So a lot of those packets and and, or actually data packets get sent like the UDP packets or TCP IP, TCP packets, they all get sent down through that layer then comes back up the other side and through the networks and through the cabling and everything like that and then comes back the other way it, round and round it goes, it's kind of hard to explain with voice, but Lightning Network is very simple because it's basically taking Bitcoin, which lives on the application layer, like on TCP IP, and then it's building above that. I do want to bring out the white paper for the Lightning Network because this actually was envisioned back in 2016. And they came up with Joseph Poon and Thaddeus Strya. They actually came up with a Bitcoin protocol that can encompass the global financial transaction volume in all electronic payment systems today. Because in the very first white paper, Satoshi, uh, the forums that he was hanging out at, uh, with other cryptographers, and he presented his 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 white paper for Bitcoin. And at that point, he uh, people were looking at it, and one of the first comments on that particular. Uh, uh, you know, white paper that he he uh, he shared with everybody was, I see that as a great and novel idea. And don't this is not verbatim, but he said this is a great novel idea. It just will never scale, and that was one of the the first complaints he ever got about Bitcoin. So these guys, Thaddeus and Joseph, have came up with the Lightning Network, and it's trying to have a, a bigger impact and trying to create this decentralized system whereby transactions are sent over a network of micropayment channels, aka payment channels or transaction channels, whose transfer value occurs off blockchain, meaning off ledger. And I'm going to have um, Elizabeth Stark of Lightning Labs explain this part because she does it fantastically, and there's absolutely no way I could explain it the way she does because she makes it very sound very simple. Okay, so take a listen.
1: What blockchains can do is they can serve as a base layer for the decentralized internet. And we can actually have... This layer two that we're all building, Blockstack, Lightning, things like that, that can use the underlying blockchain as an anchor for data. It can use it to anchor transactions. It can use it to anchor data for domain names. You have Blockstack, as we've all learned about earlier today. You have Lightning, which enables instant high volume transacting and payments. You have Tumblebit, which is payment channels on top of Bitcoin and potentially other blockchains that enables anonymity. Uh, State channels, which can enable off-chain contract state. And part of why this is so important is it minimizes the amount of data you have on the underlying blockchain, and then you can do things off-chain, building on top of the blockchain in a decentralized manner, but it's still anchored to the underlying blockchain. So you have the types of applications on top of Layer 2, and then you have developer APIs. And what Layer 2 can really be is the application layer for blockchains and for the new decentralized Internet. It can be the HTTP for blockchains. So... Back in 2015, uh, two community members and colleagues of mine came up with this paper for the Lightning Network. I actually helped to edit it. And the basic idea was because of this fundamental scalability problem of Bitcoin and other blockchains, th- things couldn't really scale on-chain to reach all seven billion people in the world. But what you could do is you could create instant, high-volume, off-chain transactions that still use the underlying blockchain for security. And it turned out you could do this in a peer-to-peer network so you didn't have to trust an intermediary. So basically the way the Lightning Network works is you have two participants, good old Alice and Bob, how many crypto people have seen that, you know, quite a bit in your classes and so on, and they enter into a two out of two multi-signature transaction on the blockchain, so you have your initial anchoring transaction that gets you onto the layer two Lightning Network. So Alice puts in $10, Bob puts in $10, they now have a $20 what we call payment channel. And Alice and Bob, the blockchain by the way only sees this initial transaction, Now they can transact with each other and they can update the state. So they continue to exchange digital signatures, and maybe now Alice has $9 and Bob has 11 and they can go back and forth. Now this sounds like, well, what happens if Alice might actually just want to steal Bob's coins? Well, it turns out there's a cryptographic proof that revokes the previous state such that if Alice tries to steal Bob's coins, Bob can go back to the blockchain have a proof that says, actually, Alice just tried to steal my coins, and not only can I get my currency back, I can get all of her funds, too, as a penalty for trying to steal his coins. Now, another scenario is, well, Bob could just go offline. Maybe Bob is, like, hanging out in Antarctica, has no, you know, internet, and is there for months. And these two are connected, and Alice wants her money back. Well, actually, we use time lock contracts on the blockchain such that even if Bob goes online, all Alice has to do is broadcast the transaction to the blockchain and wait for a timeout period, and she can still get her money back as well. So one of the core tenets of this is you don't have counterparty risk or you have to trust somebody you're transacting with. But actually, it turns out, maybe Alice and Bob only pay each other like, you know, once a year. So it's not very useful for them to transact off chain, even if it's possible for them to do it, say, thousands or millions of times. But the really cool thing about Lightning is it can chain all of these transactions together, so here you have, you know, Alice wants to pay Aaron, and then poor old Fred over there is just like hanging out and is not in this transaction. But actually, the way this is cryptographically designed is that, you know, from Alice to Bob to Carol, Bob can only receive the funds if and only if he's already forwarded them, forwarded them onward. Such that you actually cannot compromise funds when you have this multi-chain transaction. We call this multi-hop in Lightning, and the analogy is the way that packets can flow on the internet through a variety of you know servers actually payments can flow on lightning in this manner So lightning at its core is actually a smart contracting system Built initially on top of Bitcoin. It's not one that can do everything It's a much more limited contracting system But these timeouts uh, that enable everyone to get their money back and not have counterparty risk are a core tenet of this type of contract so fundamentally, the way that Lightning works is it uses a blockchain as an arbiter. The blockchain is a court. And actually, kind of like the way that you have contracts in real life, not every contract goes to court, well, in this case, you could transact, you know, thousands, maybe even millions of times, and then you could settle to the underlying blockchain. And then if somebody tries to cheat you or if they go away, you know that the blockchain is always there to secure your transaction. Now, it means that the underlying blockchain needs to be secure but we know that Bitcoin right now is the most secure public decentralized chain. So fundamentally, the blockchain uh, functions as a global decentralized judge that cannot be bribed. It can't be bribed because everything is predetermined in the smart contracts, such that the blockchain knows exactly how to interpret it. So it turns out, Lightning cannot just work for the Bitcoin blockchain, but it can work for other blockchains, and it can also work between chains. So here we have Alice and Bob, and then there's an intermediate node. Alice is Bitcoin and Bob is Litecoin, and they want to transact and go between the two. And then an intermediate node can have liquidity in both currencies. And then, using the same method that enabled when we talked about how Bob can only receive the funds if and only if, um, sorry, Bob can only send the funds if and only if he's already received them, you can do this across currencies, such that you can have decentralized, we call them cross chain atomic swaps between assets. And this uses the same technology as Lightning. We call this multi chain in our software. So at Lightning Labs, we build what's called the Lightning Network daemon. Our code is all online, github.com slash lightning network slash LND. And we recently released support not only for Bitcoin, but for Litecoin, so we now have two chains. Uh, Yeah, github.com slash lightning network slash LND. And it turned out that segregated witness, a key change to uh, various protocols that fixed what's called malleability, had activated on Litecoin, so this was a big opportunity to bring Lightning to Litecoin. And then it also just, uh, last week, finally hit the major mark to activate later next month on Bitcoin, which is a huge milestone for us in terms of building Lightning and enabling instant high volume and low fee off-chain transactions. So I talked a bit about how uh, layer two can be the application layer. And actually, one really cool thing is we've seen a lot of developers, before we actually put any documentation up, Uh, building applications on Lightning. Because it turns out a lot of users don't want to have to wait for the 10 minutes it takes to confirm on Bitcoin or even say 2.5 minutes it takes to confirm a transaction on Litecoin. And you can do all sorts of really interesting things where you could pay one cent, you know, a thousand times a minute or even a million times a minute. And people often ask, you know, well, why would you need something like a million transactions, say, per second? Visa, by contrast, can do 40 to 60,000 and Bitcoin today can do about five and it'll soon be maybe 10. And the reason is, it may not just be humans transacting, it'll probably also be machines. And you can do all sorts of interesting things with high volume transacting. Also when you have the ability to execute given a certain condition, which we'll soon do on Lightning. So this leads us to the idea of, well, we've talked a lot about what layer 2 can do. But actually we're just in the very early stages now of figuring out exactly what layer 3 can be. But the idea is you can have an additional layer that you can build upon that can go back to the layer two, that can go back to the layer one. It can do things like smart contracting, algorithmic trading, and really interesting things.
0: Yeah, so just want to be clear that, you know, the person that was talking there, she's part of Lightning Labs, but she's not directly, uh, there's not one company building this. This is an open source platform. So um, Lightning is going to be an open standard and it's going to be open source. So no one will completely own this. Um, this technology. I'm gonna play one more video, and it's from Andreas. And everybody knows Andreas on top of the list. He is the leading, you know, researcher when it comes to all things Bitcoin, all things blockchain, all things um, like this. Lightning. Uh, it's his. It's his. Um, it's his life's mission to educate the masses, and it's something that man. It's super inspiring. But I'm gonna play a video from him because he explains this. Like with the nuts and bolts, and he will drive it home for us. So go ahead and take a listen. The
3: the various different groups, uh, both companies and open source projects that were involved in Lightning, got together, and they built a set of common interoperability standards. And these standards um, are called Bolt. Um, Bolt is the basics of Lightning technology. There's all of these puns you can make about weathers and clouds and lightning strikes and thunder and all of that so people are really milking that metaphor so bolt is a set of standards um, and these define how the various implementations uh, would interoperate um, I believe there's 12 bolt documents you can find them on github they're part of a, an RFC and uh, they are basically the 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 interoperability standard and the six different teams that are working on implementations of lightning network which include the lightning network company they include uh, blockstream which is making c lightning they include async which is making eclair which is uh, a french for lightning it's a french company Um, those three are most prominently involved in the interoperability testing but there's Um, three more companies that are working on implementations in a variety of different languages. Um, And these are completely independent teams working on uh, all open source projects. All of them are open source and all uh, working on the same interoperable standard. For the last month or so, I've watched as um, the three companies that have the most advanced implementation so far, which are very close. Uh, to production capability have been doing interoperability testing and last week uh, all three companies were able to pass all 75 tests of compatibility meaning that using any one of the three different implementations would allow um, allow you to work uh, as part of the lightning network. And what that means is it doesn't matter what client you have just like it doesn't matter what Bitcoin wallet you have to use Bitcoin it doesn't matter what client you have to use Lightning Network, as long as it's interoperable. And it will be able to open payment channels to any other any of the other clients. It will be able to route payments across multiple channels, um, and do so with with very high degree of privacy. They are all implementing the Onion Routing Protocol. And what Onion Routing means is that each node only sees the immediate hop before it and the immediate hop after it. Uh, The reason it's called onion routing is because the routing information is is wrapped in layers. So you receive an encrypted package from the node immediately previously to you, and you don't know where this is going and and the node before you doesn't know where it's going. Um, And you unwrap it and you find routing information inside which tells you where to go for the next hop, but it, you don't know anything more than that, and then you send it to that next hop. They open it, and they find routing information to send it to the next hop. Every uh, node in this route doesn't know how many hops have passed, and it doesn't know how many hops are yet to come. Uh, in fact, the routes are always the same length, and so you can't tell if you're the first or the 20th in a 20-hop network. So Paths can be up to 20 hops long, and they always look 20 hops. So um, if uh, the, the route information for less than 20 hops is padded with, with garbage that's encrypted, that you don't know is garbage, but you just pass it on thinking it's routing information for the next node, until one of the nodes opens up the package and finds out it's actually the destination. Uh, of that route and and the the other 19 directions that follow are actually garbage and it discards them, but only that node knows that it's the last one in the hop, so only the sender and the recipient know how long the route is, only the sender and the recipient know which position they are in the route, um, and everybody in between is just passing this encrypted bundle of information.
0: You know, and that's very important, just because the way it is today is whenever you're you're sending by you're sending any kind of data packets over the internet, um, you have a destination address. Um, if you're doing it in a local area network, you have a MAC address, and so those are both known from the get that you're trying to reach that destination. But what he's describing is a very private way of sending data, and it's genius, and it's awesome. That's why I look at something like this, and I'm like, I see the genius behind it, and I see how well this could actually scale. The only thing that I'm wondering about, though, is the speed. Um, I just don't know with that many, the way he called it an onion layer, uh, that many layers of unraveling, uh, how fast that can actually, uh, you know, send across the network, um, especially when it hits these nodes. But I will say that I think long-term Bitcoin is looking very good right now. I know a lot of people were fighting on it last year. Buy Bitcoin, man. I'm dead serious on that. And I think as the technology builds and you have tons of people Building already on top of it right now, and if they can roll out apps on top of it, whew, I'm just saying, guys, this is going to be pretty interesting here pretty soon. Um, this looks good for Bitcoin. This looks very good for Bitcoin, and I don't know. I think I think holding Bitcoin is actually a good idea, and that's why I've always been saying buy Bitcoin, save the world. Because like seriously. This is going to change things. And if they can if they can make this really roll out here by the end of the year or at least have some test cases for it, that would be awesome. Now, there's a lot of fud out there about Bitcoin lightning and uh, the network and everything like that in Bolt. Um, honestly, I'm not going to get into that because I'm not trying to spread FUD or anything like that. If you want to go to if you want to go to Reddit, the best place to go check out is uh, slash btc. That's the Bitcoin Cash community, and they'll tell you all the reasons why <laughs> Bitcoin Lightning will not work. So, if you want if you want a, a, another opinion on it, that's where you need to go to get to get that. Um, I'm I'm a fan of cryptocurrency in general. I'm a big fan of Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin Cash, and Bitcoin. I think they both have great you know you know use cases for them, but uh, I'm holding Bitcoin, man. I'm holding more Bitcoin than I'm holding Bitcoin cash. I'm just saying. And if I'm going to bet on one pony, I'm betting Bitcoin long term. Just saying. I'm just owning Bitcoin cash to hedge my bets. That's it. Because that's uh, that's just just basic math, right? It's just basic math. So I want to leave you guys with a little bit of something today. You know, this space that we're in, this cryptocurrency space, this crypto space, whatever you want to call it, it's very interesting. There's a lot of different sides of opinion. I love it. And a lot of people are coming from a lot of different angles, and I love it. It reminds me very much of the early days of the internet. It does. There's so many, so many types of people jumping on this blockchain technology. It's just uh, for somebody like me, it's suffocating sometimes. But it's okay because we're getting people educated, and we're getting them thinking. Pass the currency on onto the future. This, this is, is the, the end, end of, of the, the show. show. You have been listening to Thriller Podcast with Carr Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Carr said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go, do your own research.
3: Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto and not Car. And remember, buy Bitcoin and save the world. One Satoshi
0: at a time.